Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. I believe I've got a very empowering and strengthening message for all of you this morning. Uh, who's here for the very first time? Would you shoot your hands up in the air so we can see you? People all over the room, can we welcome them, church? So glad that you all made it out this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Res Life family. I want to start uh, by just diving right into the Word of God because I don't know that there's a better place to start. Come on, church. This passage of Scripture that we're going to be uh, going through here this morning is, is really going to be a blueprint for us in how we maintain our hope in God during the process between receiving a promise from God or receiving a dream from God and entering into our promised land or into our destiny. We are in the middle of a series titled Destiny, Fight For It. We're at the halfway mark. It's halftime. I get to preach the third installment of it. So without further ado, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. The word says this. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do whatever he promised. I don't know if you really heard me. Let me read it one more time. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Somebody say amen to that. Friends, our hope is not in our own human effort. It's not in our abilities. Our hope is that God is able to do whatever he said he was going to do. So now I, here's, here's what I've come to the conclusion. I've come to understand something. I think we love talking about destiny. I think we love talking about the plans and the purposes of God for our lives. What we don't so much enjoy is the process that takes place between receiving the dream and then entering into our destiny. In other words, God gives you a promise, and then there's going to be some stuff that you're just going to have to plow through in the process between your promise and the promised land. So, one key ingredient that we're going to need, that we're going we're to break down this scripture tonight, one key ingredient that we're going to have to maintain in the midst of the process between dream to destiny is this, hope, hope. The title of my message this morning is The Promise-Driven Life. Let me pray. Let's bow our heads and let's, uh, let's pray to our Father. God, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I just pray uh, for the moments that remain, God, that you would fill them with uh, whatever you, all your goodness, God. I just hope, I just pray and, and hope, Holy Spirit, as, as you know I've been praying, I just pray that every single one of us would hear from you this morning. God, speak to us right where we're at. Strengthen us, challenge us, encourage us, God. And I pray that every single one of us in this room, everybody listening to my voice online, would be injected with God's hope this morning. In Jesus' name, we all together said, Amen. Amen. Point number one. I've got four points. Point number one is this. In hope, 
we believe. Let's go back to verse 18. It says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. I love how the New Living Translation actually breaks it down. It says this, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Abraham kept hoping. How many of you know that there's two kinds of a lot of things? There's two kinds of fear, for instance. There's, the, there's man's fear and then there's God's fear. Man's fear shrinks back and it cowers down. God's fear is, is a fear that it, it really means to have an, a reverence and an awe for who God is that actually draws us to God. It draws us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father to where we could be honest with Him. Now we can boldly approach the throne of grace and talk to God about whatever we need to talk about. It's an awe and a reverence for Him, but the fear of man shrinks back and it cowers down. But Scripture says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord is safety. Say amen, church. There's two kinds of love. There's man's love, and then there's God's love. Man's love is, is like a, you know, a what have you done for me lately kind of a love, right? You remember Janet Jackson said it best, what have you done for me lately? You guys remember that song? You heard it on the radio, right? But God's love is not performance-based. God's love is absolutely unconditional, not performance-based whatsoever, which is why we need to love the Detroit Lions with God's love. Shout me down, church. Yeah, he's a big Lions fan. You've been struggling in the midst of that process, huh? <laughs> Come on, Super Bowl. I'm praying for him. I, I, I've become convinced that uh, it's only the spirit of God in us that keeps us Lions fans. Come on, church. Anyway, there's two kinds of hope. There's man's hope, and then there's God's hope. You know, man's hope seems to misplace its hope. We, we're notorious for misplacing our hope. And we, we, we heard from Pastor Dwayne just a couple weeks ago. He talked about this. I'm just reiterating it. You know, too often we place our hope in ourselves. We place our hope in our own abilities, in our strengths, in our giftings, in our stuff, in our finances, our fiancés, our spouses. And sometimes we misplace our hope in our leaders. But listen, God's hope is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's it. And when our hope is anchored to the eternal, then all these things, all these temporary things that take place, our hope is not in those things because when our hope is anchored in the eternal, we stand firm in the faith and we understand that the best is yet to come. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. God, my hope is in you. I hope in you. I am anchored. I am steadfast and I will not be moved because my hope is in you, Jesus, and you'll never let me down. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. Say amen. Second thing is this, second thing that we need to know about hope. In hope, we face the facts. Let's go back to verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, catch that. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Sometimes the greatest acts of faith and hope on our part come when we simply face the facts and we choose to take the next step towards our destiny anyway. How many of you know that in the process between dream to destiny, there's gonna be some stuff that wants to derail you from entering into your destiny? You know, my childhood dream was always to play in the NFL. I can remember being in fourth grade, you know, teacher asked, what do you wanna do? Oh, I'm gonna be an NFL football player. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, fast forward, many of you know, because I've had conversations with many of you throughout the hallways of my background, and for those of you who don't know, uh, I played football at Grand Valley State University for head coach Brian Kelly. 
uh, who's now the Notre Dame head football coach. And so I got there, and I got there with three goals in mind. I set three goals. The three goals were this. I wanted to win a national championship with, with that team, wanted to win a Division II Heisman Trophy, which is called the Harlan Hill Trophy. And then the third thing that I wanted to still accomplish, I wanted to still get to the NFL. Now, less than 1% of all uh, athletes coming out of high school, football players coming out of high school, actually make it into the NFL, and especially playing Division II. All the odds were stacked against me, yet it was still one of my goals. So, fast forward to my junior year. Our, our junior year, our team was, was having one of the best uh, seasons in college football history. I was having a great season as the quarterback there and uh, shattering records, and, and, and the NFL started to take notice. So what happened was all the scouts from the NFL, from all these different NFL teams, would show up at practice. I would talk with them afterwards, and I'm literally watching my childhood dream become a reality before my eyes. We went undefeated during the regular season and entered into the first game of the playoffs uh, undefeated, with, uh, without any blemishes on, on, on the schedule. And it was just before halftime. There was maybe 45 seconds to go in the half. We were up 30 to nothing. I mean, we were just on cruise control, going to win the game. And it was a third and one. Coach Kelly sent in the play call. It was a quarterback sneak. And so here's what happened. I took the snap, and I started to plow forward to try to get the first down so that we can continue to move the chains and maybe put some more points up on the board before halftime. So as I did that, I, I, I was, I was uh, positioned like this, and my left leg was, my cleats were completely stuck in the ground, and the defenders just came you know, towards me, and they're trying to tackle me. So now I got two, three, four guys on me, and all of the weight transferred right to my left knee, and I ended up dislocating my knee completely. Okay, shredded up everything. In other words, let me, let me break it down for you. This is, this is exactly what I did. If you're to look at my arm right now, this part of my arm right here would have been bent all the way back underneath. Okay, that kind of a dislocation, right? So my, my teammates were right there and they, they, they surrounded me. The refs even came up to me and my leg was literally, so if my leg is sitting like this, you know, this, this portion of my legs laying, laying straight and then the rest of my leg from the knee down was all the way over 90 degree angle. And so they came up, they running and they, they're, they're assessing the situation and then, you know, they're, they're about, you know, to throw up. So they said, you know, I, they left me hanging, man. They left me alone. The referee even came over, was blowing the whistle and he tucked tail and ran back to the sidelines and like, Medical team, get out here. So the medical team comes out, the team doctors and the trainers, they come out and they assess the injury. And here's what they said. I heard them say it. It's dislocated. We've got to put it back in. Good times. Good times. And, and I knew what that meant. See, the season before that, there was a guy in California playing Division II football, a running back, who dislocated his knee and they had to amputate it from the knee down. Because what happens in knee dislocations, it stretches so far that the popliteal artery that runs down the back of your leg, it stretches until it rips apart. And then it retracts all the way back up your thigh. And the chances of them actually being able to get in there in surgery and get all the way up your leg to grab that artery are basically nil, okay? So I knew what it meant. It's dislocated, we gotta put it back in. So then, one, two, three. <laughs> oh! I love the faces of, of all y'all this morning. That's great. 
So it happens, right? They put it back in. They put me in this beaded cast, put me on a golf cart, and, and take me back into the training room. They're assessing the situation. They're asking, you know, and I, I just kept telling them, guys, I don't know what it is, but my calf just keeps pulsating this horrible pain in my calf. You know, I'm, I'm weeping. I'm in tears. My calf is just pulsating and pulsating and pulsating, and I don't, I don't know what's going on. And uh, so what they thought had happened in typical uh, head-on car crashes is, is really uh, where you see this particular injury take place. So you get in a head-on car collision, and your knees would hit the dashboard, and the, you know, when it happened, it would dislocate your knee, tear the artery. And, uh, and what they thought was happening was my artery, which was torn, they thought, was shooting blood into my calf, and it's just pulsating and pulsating and pulsating. So... My big brother, John, and I. John, where are you at? He's at this service somewhere. You in here, John? There he is, all the way at the back. My big brother came to, the, uh, came to that game, and we got into this shuttle bus, and they took me down to Spectrum, right downtown. And I was still in my, still in my pads and everything, and it was a somber drive there. We get out, they put me in a wheelchair, they take me into the hospital, and there's this doctor and a, and a nurse that come up, and they already were called ahead of time about the situation, so they knew what was going on. And so they, they said, listen, we know that you dislocated your leg. We believe that you tore your artery, so we're going to take you in for an immediate angiogram. And uh, if it's torn, it's about a 20-minute process, if it comes back and it's torn, then we're gonna go into immediate surgery and there's a really good chance that you're gonna have your leg amputated from the knee down. And they explained why. And I'm just a mess. I'm just watching my childhood dream just dwindle before my eyes. I go in to this room to have the angiogram performed. They slit uh, my, my groin open, put a tube into uh, the artery, shot dye down the, the left side of my leg because I, I, I dislocated my left knee to see if that artery was intact. And this lady, you know, and, and if you're here and you're going into the medical field, I, I want you to pay close attention to this. This lady who recognized my last name, went to high school with my parents, comes up to me and says, would it be okay with you if I prayed over you? And I wasn't following Jesus Christ at that time in my life, but how many of you know when circumstances are like that circumstance was, I was like, yes, you can. You wanna start right now? She took this big silver cross, placed it on my chest, started praying, and I'll tell you what, I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. And the peace, though, that I had was, it was just unbelievable how much peace came into that room. 20 minutes later, they come to tell me, your artery's not torn, but you've ripped up everything. You ripped your ACL, your PCL, your MCL, your LCL, and all the cartilage, all of your meniscus, completely shredded up, torn to pieces, it's never gonna come back. And then they found out what I did to my calf. I ripped my calf muscle right off the bone. So I stand up here today with one calf, and I'm preaching pretty good. Come on, somebody. You know, talk about destiny, right? So they assess it, say, you have less than a 5% chance of ever returning to the game of football. And I said, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I didn't even got to say the movie, do I? Y'all seen it, Dumb and Dumber. Uh-huh. Yeah, you sinners. We're going to repent later. Yeah. So 
You're telling me there's a chance. I got hope, all right, less than a 5% chance. I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it. I, I looked at the doctors. I looked at our trainers. I said, you're going to get me ready. I'm going to be back. My leg was so swollen that I literally couldn't have uh, surgery. This happened November 17th, 2001. Could not have surgery performed until January because my leg was so swollen from the severity of this injury. So I have the surgery. And the typical protocol after this, this type of a surgery is 12 months. Okay, training camp starts in August every year. So you do the math. I missed the entire season of my senior year, right? My childhood dream becoming a reality is pretty much gone. Well, I looked at him, I said, we're gonna get back. So fast forward to uh, last week of July. Last week of July, I'm in, uh, entering into training camp. I started jogging for the first time. I, do you hear what I said? I started jogging one week before training camp. And uh, I enter into that training camp, and before I even move forward to the training camp part, you want to know, uh, you want to talk about destiny? You know, there was a whole lot of pain in this process. Rehab was not fun. I did not enjoy any of this. But guess what? One day, when I came into the Grand Valley State University Rec Center, and I ended up uh, getting on an elliptical machine, because that's all I could do at the time, very low impact, I got on this elliptical machine, I started getting it right. And I looked over to my right, and I saw the most beautiful woman that I had ever seen in my life. I said, hey, girl, what's up? <laughs> she asked me for my phone number. She chased me all around campus after that. You know I'm lying. The truth is not in me right now. I chased that woman all over the place. But I'll tell you what, in the midst of the process, I met my wife and the mother of my children. And I'll tell you what, I would, take, I would take all of it. I would take all the trophies, the national championships, and what I'm about to tell you in a little while, and I would trade all of that in to know that woman. Amen? Amen. So training camp. Training camp starts first practice, okay? I'm stoked to be at practice, couldn't wait. I take a handoff, routine, routine handoff to one of my running backs. Ladies, I'm gonna break it down for you. I took the snap, right? And it was to my left, and because it was to my left, my right hand was on the ball, so I had to use my right hand to hand the ball off to the running back. Well, what happened was my thumb got caught right in between my running back's shoulder pads right here, fractured my thumb just like that. I'm out the whole training camp. Got zero practices in. Watched my team practice the entire time. I was fed up. I thought, you know, for sure, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play. I'm not gonna play. Coach Kelly comes in and he looks at me and he says, You're gonna get well. That thing's gonna heal up. You're still gonna play. I'm weeping. And how many of you know that sometimes in the process that is very painful, and when all these external circumstances are trying to preach you a message that your destiny is never gonna happen, that you're not gonna make it, you need to believe in someone else's belief in you. And that's what my coach said to me. He said it to me, and I said, okay, I'm just going to believe in your belief that this is going to work out. So the night before the game, let me paint the picture. We were the number one team in the country at the time playing the number two team in the country the next night. I had got zero practices in. So I tell my roommates, I said, I'm going to go to Blockbuster. You remember when we had to go to Blockbuster, people? I went to Blockbuster. I was out at Grand Valley. went to Blockbuster over in Jenison right there on Cottonwood Drive. And, and I got there, I rented Rocky because I needed to watch Rocky just knock out Clubber Lang and, you know, do it to Ivan Drago, you know, take him down. I mean, it just gives me hope, you know, a little injection of hope. 
So I got Rocky from, from Blockbuster, and I'm heading back down Fillmore, and uh, it's a 55 there, and I'm doing about a 60 and a 55. I had just previously bought this Nissan Maxima from my Uncle Scott for like, I don't know, $1,000. He hooked me up with a great deal. I mean, it had the leather seats, the moon roof, and I'm in college. I thought I was the man, you know? And uh, so I'm coming down Fillmore, and the sun was setting. Had a huge glare coming through the windshield. There was traffic coming on the opposite, from the opposite direction in the other lane, and I noticed that there was a, a person who was running on the shoulder of the road. I'm driving by these farmhouses on my right-hand side, and as I drive by this one farmhouse in particular, I see something out of my peripheral from the right side. Something massive is coming out in front of the car. I can't swerve left because I'm gonna go right into oncoming traffic, so what do I have to do? I gotta slam on the brakes. So I slam on the brakes, doing 60, and bam! Nailed something massive. No, I thought it was a deer, right? And uh, next thing I know, airbag blows. You know, uh, car spins out. I, I pulled over to the right, you know. Uh, luckily, I didn't hit any oncoming traffic. Thank you, Lord. Um, and I get out of the car, and I'm starting to assess my injuries now, trying to, you know, see if anything's broken, if there's, you know, anything severe going on. And, and all I could find, I was bleeding, you know, my mouth was bloody, my nose was bloody. I had these flesh wounds underneath my chin and flesh wounds on my arms from being burned by the airbag. And as I'm doing that, there's this guy from that farmhouse was running up to me, and he comes, and he's assessing the situation. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? I said, yeah, man, I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm, you know, all put together here. I'm going to make it kind of a deal. And, and I said, man, what did I hit? Did I hit, a, did I hit a deer? And he says, no, that was our St. Bernard. I said, you got to be kidding me. You know how big St. Bernard's are? You know, I looked it up on Google, and they, they like, I think the minimum amount they weigh, as, as, you know, as an adult is like 145 pounds, okay? So it's basically I hit a human being 60 miles an hour. I told it out my car, and, and so I said, you've got to be kidding me. He goes up, you know, he's, and, and he, walks, he walks away from me for a bit. I'm just sitting there. He comes back, and, and he looks at me, and he goes, I'm gonna be right back. I've gotta go get my shotgun. I said, excuse me? You gotta go get your shotgun. Yeah, I just, you know, our dog's, you know, about 50 yards up in the, in, in the ditch over there and, and, and he's just faintly breathing. He's not gonna make it. And I'm thinking, you've gotta be kidding me. Could anything else happen right now, you know? The night before the biggest game of my life. And uh, to make it all worse, I'm sitting there and... Uh, I start to hear weeping and weeping and howling, and I turn and I look over to the farmhouse, and the entire family is outside of the farmhouse. The kids are all together like, oh, Skittles is gone. <laughs> Crying and weeping. I'm just thinking, this is God. This couldn't get any worse. Friends, you can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you, everything in me wanted to simply give up and quit right there and not play in the game that next night. Every part of me, I was terrified. But I strapped on, you know, all the gear that next night, and I was scared. And all of my teammates were saying, Kurt, if you don't play, if you don't play, if you don't play, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. All this pressure coming from that, and I'll tell you what, I was scared. I didn't tell anybody I was scared, but I was terrified. But sometimes courage is simply doing the very thing that you're scared of most. 
and just taking that next step. So what is it for you? What is it in your life that you're scared of doing that you know God's calling you to do? Just take that next step. I'll tell you what, I took the next step. I played in the game. We won every game that year. We ended up winning a national championship. I won the Division II Heisman Trophy as the best player in the country for Division II. And in 2003, I was signed by God's team, the Detroit Lions. Come on, church, say amen to that. My childhood dream became reality, 2003. So there's a couple things in that story that, you know, we said in hope, we need to face the facts. I faced the fact that my physical condition and my abilities, man, my, 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 my leg was maybe 50 to 60% tops. And all these different external circumstances that were trying to preach me a message saying, you're done, you're finished, finito. And I just stared him in the face and I took that next step towards my destiny anyway, and it came to pass. Two facts from the scripture that we need to face that Abraham did. Number one is this, the deadness of his body. He had physical issues that made his promise from God seem impossible in the natural. Now, we all have human limitations, but Abraham understood this well. His hope was in God. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Listen, when God gives you a promise... It will many times be completely illogical and look impossible in the natural, but thank God we serve a supernatural God. You know, all things are possible to those who believe. Now, that's the easier of the two. The second thing that we need to face is this, the deadness of Sarah's womb. This represents external circumstances that are out of our control. The rest of that scripture says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and that Sarah's womb was also dead. That's the tough one. That's the external circumstances that want to preach you a message that says, your destiny's never going to take place. That promise that God gave you on your life, you're never going to see the promised land. But thank God he is able to bring it to pass. If we just place our hope and our trust and our faith in him, he is big enough to face and defend and beat every single giant that stands in the way between your promise and your promised land. Say amen, church. Next thing we need to do is this. Number three, in hope, we are strengthened. Romans 4.20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. In other words, his faith was strengthened. Whatever strengthens our hope will strengthen our faith. So let's answer the question. What strengthens our hope? 2 Chronicles 32, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles, and the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Job 4.4, your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. Job 16, but I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Psalm 119, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. What strengthens us, friends? God's word. 
Jesus mentions this very thing to Peter when he predicted that Peter would deny him. Luke 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. What was he asking Peter to do? Peter, after you deny me, after, you know, I'm crucified, buried, and resurrected, and I come back to you and I catch you fishing, I'm going to ask you to follow me once again. I'm asking you to go back and strengthen your brethren with words. And what does Peter do in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost? He preaches a message and he says, there is salvation by no other name than the name of Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified. He is Lord and Savior. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. And I want to read to you Acts chapter 2 verse 37 says this. It's not up on the screen. Listen to my words. It says that Peter's words pierced their hearts and 3,000 people said, yes, I want to follow him today. Strengthen them with your words. What about the early church? How were they strengthened? Acts chapter 15. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Psalm 119, say it with me, church. Remember the, oh, come on, that's pathetic. Here we go, let's do it again. Test number two. Remember the, to your servant upon which you have caused me to, My soul faints for your salvation, but I, come on, Peter, man, you got to be faster back there, brother. Here we go. Let's do it again. Remember the, okay, I'm going to move on. You guys get the point, right? Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Psalm 119, 116. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. 1 Timothy 4, 6, I love this passage of Scripture. Take this one and run with it, people. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine with which you have carefully followed. Someone who is malnourished physically is not getting enough food into their body. Someone who is malnourished spiritually is not getting enough word of God into their spirit. Some point, friends, I'm going to say this with, with all love and all due respect to every single one of you in this room. I'm so thankful that you are here today. You are at church today. I think that's amazing. But at some point, Our relationship with Jesus Christ must go beyond the four walls of this church. But let me tell you something about church attendance that's really, really, really amazing. We all get to come here. We get to sit down and we get to listen to the words of God preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we leave with hope. We leave strengthened. Because whatever strengthens our hope will strengthen our faith. And whatever strengthens our faith makes us pleasing to God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when you sit here and you listen to the words of God preached, you leave with an injection of hope. How important is church attendance? It's very important. It's very important. Point number four, and we're going to close with this one. The last thing that we see from this scripture that hope accomplishes is this. In hope, we bring glory to God. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. By keeping his hope in God, he brought God glory with his life. Verse 21, because he became fully convinced that God is able, not him, 
not Abraham. I, he became fully convinced. He says, I am fully convinced that my God is able to do whatever. I love that. To do whatever he promises us. This whole series is about destiny. I'm gonna tell you something. The chief destiny of all mankind, your chief purpose in this lifetime, your chief destiny in this lifetime is simply this, to glorify God with your life in whatever you do. You wanna be a teacher? Glorify God with your life. You wanna be a CEO? Glorify God with your life. You wanna be a stay-at-home mother? Glorify God with your life. You wanna be an entrepreneur? Glorify God with your life. You wanna go in the medical field? Glorify God with your life. You wanna grow up to be an athlete? Glorify God with the platform that he gives you. In whatever you do in this lifetime, glorify God. And by the way, friends, one of the ways that we glorify God with our lives is just simply to keep our hope alive in the midst of the process between dream and destiny, to become convinced that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. To God be glory in the church through Christ Jesus, now and throughout every generation to come. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that we all leave here with hope in you, God. But right now, I want to ask everybody to just be quiet, quiet and no moving unless it's absolutely necessary. I want you to ask one question to God this morning, and it's this. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? encourage all of you that whatever God is speaking to you through this message this morning, that you would just have radical obedience to him and taking the next step in whatever he is speaking to you about. Now, there's also people here this morning who I believe are ready to place their hope and their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. You know, scripture tells us, the message translation in Ephesians says that everything, absolutely everything, above and below in heaven and on earth, everything finds its purpose in God. Your purpose and your destiny is gonna be found in your relationship with your heavenly Father. And if you're ready to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life this morning, I wanna pray a prayer with you guys right now. And I'm just gonna ask you to be courageous and pray this prayer from your heart, because God knows your heart. Let's all pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. And I need your forgiveness. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, shed his blood on the cross and died for my sins. So I'm ready to turn from my sin now. You said that if we confess Jesus as Lord, 
and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Right now, I confess Jesus as the Lord of my soul. With all my heart, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. In this very moment, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Right now, according to your word, I am saved. In Jesus' mighty name, we all together said, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.